and welcome to episode one of the China Theology Podcast, where we talk about the trials, trauma, and triumph of Chinese house church theology. I'm Neil Ray, and today we're going to be talking about one common misconception a lot of Westerners have about religion in China. The theology word for the day is Tai Chu. Tai Chu. It means beginning or in the beginning. The verse I've chosen is John 1:1. Tai Chu you dao. Dao yu tian zhu tong zai. Dao jiu shi tian zhu. There is a very clear need to explain China, especially Chinese Christianity, to those in the West. China, along with its millions of believers, have developed without direct influence from the West. Now, that being the case, it tends to be very hard for Westerners who are really either unwilling or unable to put the time in that that it's required to to truly get acquainted with the Chinese mindset. And the Chinese Christian worldview to, to understand China and Christianity here. And when I say time, I mean time. Generally, it takes the average person uh, probably four years of full-time study to begin conversing over, say, a third or fourth grade level. And so, to wrap your mind around you know, Christianity and China. And the nuances of it, it takes ten or fifteen years to really get acquainted. Not to mention that, for the most part, many Chinese themselves don't really understand Christianity in China, its history, where it came from. Not only that, the vocabulary that is used among Christians in China. Someone who has not been in that environment, really, regardless of how long they've spent in China, won't understand it very much. So, for the most part, the Christians in the West they get their view of Chinese Christianity、uh, from news agencies, people that are reporting on Christianity in China directly to a Western audience. But generally speaking, these type of operations are not performed in mainland China. You can't set up a news agency in China because of the way that the Chinese government controls news outlets and other forms of media. So in the end, it's left up to the foreign reporters who don't speak Chinese and are only making a few short trips into China a year、uh, to explain and report on the religious activity and the Christian work in China. Needless to say, much of the reporting that comes out of China is not really giving a very full and accurate picture. Of Christianity here, of the underground house church, of many of the issues that are plaguing、uh, the churches here in China, and that's kind of where the China Theology Podcast comes into play. It's my desire to help develop an accurate understanding of what's going on in China, to help church leaders and lay people alike to know how to both pray and support missions work and church planning efforts in China.、I、often find it very difficult to. Really sit down and 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 put China in a nutshell、uh, in a thirty or forty five minute conversation. When people ask open ended questions like "What's Christianity like in China?" I I find those very very difficult to answer. But the China Theology Podcast we're we're aiming at trying to answer many of the questions related to、uh, Christianity and theology here in China. 
And it's going to be my goal to, episode by episode, answer and talk about these topics that are directly related to Christianity and Christian work in China. And I do think it is also important for me to talk just a second about myself and what I'm doing here in China. Uh, My name is Neil Ray, as I mentioned in the introduction, and I'm currently in central China. I'm here working with a a co-laborer, national pastor, Pastor Xu, in a church planning effort in central China. I was afforded the great opportunity to grow up in China. Uh, My parents are missionaries in China and have been for 20 years now. And so I was given the opportunity to uh, learn the language fairly early on and be involved in uh, ministering as well as, uh, you know, growing up in this culture and society here. So I have a, a, a bit of a different perspective on a lot of things than probably uh, your average um, foreigner, your average Westerner. Um, but at the same time, I have an immense love for China and the Chinese people. Uh, the Lord has uh, allowed me to come back and continue uh, ministering here. We are lifers. We're long-term. We, we don't uh, plan on leaving China. The Lord will let us stay here. We're we're in it for the long haul, uh, to share the gospel, and Lord willing, see churches planted all over the country. But China is one of those topics that is very difficult to uh, explain in, say, a 30, 45-minute conversation. And so I opted to go with a podcast to, to really try to um, have the opportunity to talk some of these things out. And we'll have the opportunity to interview many Chinese national pastors here on the podcast as well as um, for other foreign missionaries who are working in China and have really given their lives to the gospel and to church planning here in China. And so I'm excited to do that. I'm excited to be able to uh, bring a lot of these people together and try as best we can to give you a picture of China and Christianity here. But today I really want to talk about um, one big misconception that a lot of people have Uh, when it comes to religious activity, to Christianity in China. And this is one that we often run into when when I return back to the West, and then also on our Facebook page, we'll get comments about it, and sometimes via email uh, asking us or saying things um, that that are talking about this particular misconception. So it's one we run into a lot. Um, It's also not one that I can really explain in a sentence or two, and so just a, a, a real quick start, I felt it would be a, a great a topic to jump into on the first episode of the China Theology Podcast, and that is the misconception that Christianity um, is illegal in China, or that it is illegal to be a Christian in China. I often hear people make statements to the effect that you have to be very careful in China not to let people know that you're a Christian. You know, one person told me one time, wow, is it, is it hard um, not to tell your coworkers because, you know, you could go to prison if they find out that you're a Christian. And so there's, there's this misconception that in China it is illegal uh, to be a Christian, but that's just not the case. Um, now, I tried to get my hand on my copy of the Chinese Constitution, and it's on my bookshelf somewhere, but of course, when you're looking for it, you can never find it. So I had to turn to the internet, but I was able to uh, pull up a English version of the Constitution of China. And if you were to look at Article 36 on the freedom of religion, this is what it says. It says, citizens of the People's Republic of China enjoy freedom of religious belief 
No state organ, public organization, or individual may compel citizens to believe in or not to believe in any religion, nor may they discriminate against citizens who believe in or do not believe in any religion. The state protects normal religious activity. No one may make use of religion to engage in activities that disrupt public order, impair the health of citizens, or interfere with the educational system of the state. Religious bodies and religious affairs are not subject to any foreign denomination. So there, you have it, straight out of the horse's mouth. China has the freedom of religion. Now, if I were to stop there, I'm sure I would get kudos from the Chinese government. But in reality, it doesn't quite stop there. Now, there's some very open-ended statements but in reality, the, the, the article on freedom of religion is really left up to interpretation. So the, they say very clearly that the state protects normal religious activity. Well, what is normal religious activity? And then it goes on to say it doesn't support that which disrupts public order or impairs the health of citizens or interferes with their educational system. So there are limitations put on it. And that's kind of where the rub lies, if you will. Yeah, you know, who's interpreting it and who's enforcing it. And so we find um, a very wishy-washy kind of situation where it is not illegal to express uh, the fact that you have faith. But then where the rub lies is how you express that faith. So the freedoms to assemble might affect how you can assemble and worship together. Your, the, the laws about how you express yourself or your freedom of speech might affect how your religion is expressed in China. Um, there are many things that really could affect how religion is um, uh, uh, expressed here. And so that being the case, I, I need to make the point that though it is there is freedom to be a religious, that does not guarantee the freedom to express religion as the Bible teaches. Now, one way I, I like to put this is um, they don't mind Christians, but they have laws against the propagation of religion. So if that makes any sense, maybe to put it in a simpler way, um, they don't mind you being a Christian, they just don't want you to be a good one. But, but very simply, you can be a Christian all you want, and you can have a personal faith, but the expression and the propagation of that faith um, really is where there are going to be limitations and where you can get yourself in legal trouble. Um, but the reality of it is I can point you to uh, many services on any given Sunday all over the country that... Um, are meeting where there, you could have meetings of five and six hundred people in one building, maybe with even steeples on the building, and they're meeting there religiously. You know, there's a mosque in my area every Friday that has services, and they're very open, and there's a large number of people that attend. So the reality of it is there are ways to express religion in China that the government is not, you know, opposed to. But there are parameters to that, and that's kind of, again, where things fall apart. Now, when we talk about large meetings in China, especially meetings that are open, um, when we talk about churches being able to have signs and crosses on the steeple and meet openly in large numbers, we're generally referring to something that is part of the three-self patriotic movement or the three-self anti-imperialist movement. 
Um, and that is an incredibly in-depth topic, one that is worthy of many episodes here at the China Theology Podcast, and one that's currently on the docket. Um, hopefully we'll be able to address it shortly. But very simply put, the government has allowed uh, religion uh, to be open if it accepts government control. And so the three-self church is a government-controlled church. Now, that's worked out okay for some um, three-self uh, churches, but the reality of it is the government um, regulates a lot of what they do and don't do, what they say and don't say, who attends and who doesn't, and so forth. And there have been times in three-self history where the government's decided, no, we don't want you to operate anymore, and they've shut them down. That was the case uh, during the Cultural Revolution uh, in the 60s and 70s, where they had just opened, uh, they had just established the three-self church just about 10, 15 years prior, and then decided politically it didn't fit in anymore, and so then they axed it. And so the same pastors that um, had signed up for um, government control so that they could give government approval were all thrown in prison. Maybe on the outset it sounds good, but the reality of it is when you put yourself under government control, it's always a dangerous thing. But that's the way the Chinese government likes to handle it. And so for most uh, meetings that you're going to see, pictures of large numbers of Christians meeting together openly um, in China, those are generally going to be three self-congregations, or congregations that have chosen to put themselves under um, the Chinese government leadership. And really, that's kind of been the focus of persecution, both starting out in the early 50s after the communist takeover and then in recent uh, years here in China, uh, we've seen the, the force being put on joining um, the three self-congregations and or getting governmental approval. So uh, in the early 50s, it was join the three self-movement, the three self-patriotic movement, or we throw you in prison. And then recently, it's been um, more, look, we, we cannot allow you to meet openly. We cannot allow you to get over a certain amount of people unless you register. Uh, and so they put pressure to uh, on these congregations to accept uh, government control. And that's kind of really been the thrust of the persecution, especially in recent years. But very early on, that was really the reason uh, most people were imprisoned. People like Wang Mingdao and others, famous Chinese pastors who stood up and said, we're not going to be a part of that, and, and for that reason spent many years in prison. So China, for this reason, can be very difficult to read, and predominantly because you have these two different entities. You have uh, the three-self uh, patriotic movement, uh, which is government-controlled, which generally is very large in size, which uh, on, on, from the outside looks very open, and there's a lot of freedom, when in reality there's a lot of government control. But then you also have the house church, which uh, looks like it's maybe smaller, when in reality and probably the majority of Christians in China are part of this house church movement. And you also see, though they don't have direct government control, there are certain stipulations that the government does um, put on them and parameters that the government seems to allow them to work in. And so we, we have um, really different standards, and we have to really talk about, when we're talking about laws in China and what's legal and what's not, we, we really have to say, okay, what are we talking about? Are we talking about three self-churches? Are we talking about house churches? Or, you know, what are we talking about here? So it becomes very difficult to then explain the issue. Uh, but very simply put, not only does it come down to a difference in whether or not you have a stamp of approval by the government, you're being governed by the three self uh, authorities, or um, you're a house church, 
in China, there are different um, religious uh, environments. So really, you have um, pockets all over China that are governed very differently when it comes to religious law. And this is also kind of a sore spot of mine, because we often hear people working in a particular area of China say something like, wow, we have this freedom here, you know, in China, and, you know, we're able to do this, and we're able to do that, and they'll look at other people elsewhere, and maybe they'll point fingers and say, well, why aren't they doing that? Or, you know, we have so much freedom, you know, why aren't they, uh, you know, pushing out and doing this? Maybe they're not, you know, interested in, in the gospel or saving souls, and they'll make ridiculous statements, when in reality, every uh, area of China is governed differently, that we really see a difference of pressure on um, house churches throughout different areas of China. So you could go into one area of China and find that Chinese can work very openly in, the, in that area. Um, and then whereas a Western missionary might come into that same area and have his hands tied, and they really not be able to do anything there, and, and often vice versa. So, uh, for example, like in Beijing, it, because of the great foreign presence, people doing business, English teachers, all that's going on, foreign missionaries have really a, a lot of an easier time in Beijing working. They fit in, there's not uh, as much attention on them, and they're able to, to get around and do quite a bit more than, say, um, foreigners in, in a, sm- a small town in China trying to, to work and do missions work. Um, but the Chinese people generally are um, controlled more in Beijing. Uh, the, more of the religious laws are enforced, and so it's a much stricter environment for uh, Chinese believers than, say, a, a countryside um, congregation, you know, in Western China. So it, <laughs> that's really uh, why it's so difficult to determine this, because in China it's not necessarily about the law as much as it is about enforcement. And enforcement is dependent upon a political narrative. Now, this is very difficult for the Western uh, mindset to really understand. So let me try to give you an example of how this might play out. So imagine you have this one uh, local um, official, and his goal, is, in a sense, is to try to stimulate some economic growth. And his goal is one particular sector. He's really wanting to see um, this one particular economic sector get off the ground and really begin growing. Um, he can choose to focus his resources and guide the local police into enforcing laws elsewhere and really take a light hand against maybe some regulations and restrictions that might hinder growth in this particular sector. Whereas his predecessor, who, say, is maybe newer in politics and really needs to get more support, he decides to toe the party line and really draw uh, some support from deep within the party. So you're going to see him crack down on uh, a lot of um, uh, political dissidents. You're going to see him crack down on illegal religious meetings. You're going to see him crack down a lot of things, maybe that the other guy let slide because it might affect... Um, his area economically. So I think you could see how it would be very difficult uh, to determine what is happening in China as a whole uh, in regards to religious liberty and freedom, uh, because in reality, what happens is not necessarily determined by what's on the books, 
but by how it's being enforced on the local level. So if we could, say, map out China in regards to areas that are strict and, and, and lenient toward religious activity, you would see this mosaic of different uh, colors because there would be uh, all different local areas having different views and different ways of enforcing religious law. At the same time, it would be constantly changing because of constant political changes in China. So it, this topic then becomes very, very complex and something really to, to be determined um, based on different local areas and not to be looked at as a national issue. At the same time, we understand that there are national changes that can take place that do affect the whole country. So, for example, President Xi, he's taking a very strong traditional uh, Communist Party stance. And in doing so, um, he is cracking down on ideologies that he believes are contrary to the party line. So that being the case, we are seeing a crackdown, in a sense, from the national level right now, where he is putting pressure on local officials to deal with religious issues differently than maybe they have in the past. But at the same time, we understand that this, as this pressure trickles down, there are going to be areas that are affected um, in different ways. So, for example, Beijing is going to, because it's under the direct control of the central government, it is going to be uh, much stricter, say, than where I'm at here in central China. The Chinese have a saying, it goes like this, Tian gao huang di yuan. It literally means the sky is high and the emperor is far away. In a sense, they're saying as we, as we get away from that, that central power, it, it seems to lessen in how um, these laws will affect um, the average everyday person. But just to bring it home for you and, and sum things up, it's very complicated in China to know what exactly you can get away with and what you can't. And like I said, different areas of China uh, will be very different. But for the most part, we do have large amounts of freedom to do uh, what we do here. Um, we're able to in, very carefully pass out gospel tracts uh, and literature. Um, we do have to be careful on how we do that, but you can do that. I can remember uh, last year with about five guys passing out 4,000 gospel tracts in three and a half days. So it can be done. Again, you have to know how to do it. And I, again, I don't suggest that for everyone if you don't know the, the particular political scene that you're walking into. But we are able to witness, if I invite people in my home, I feel a lot of freedom to talk with them, sitting in a Starbucks or uh, talking to the taxi driver. Um, we don't have any reservation with telling them that we're Christians or even talking with them about the scripture or the gospel. And for the most part, that's not going to get you in any trouble. Now, you do see um, often people getting in trouble with the authorities uh, in regards to literature. Now, that is an area you do have to be careful with. They kind of ha have quantized uh, the intent to proselytize. So if you have too much literature in a particular place, uh, you can uh, go to prison for that. Um, that is a, a very a clear one. I, I heard a story uh, of a guy uh, last year who um, was shipped a crate of Sunday school material and uh, for ordering that Creative Sunday School material, he, a Chinese guy, he was uh, sentenced to three years in prison. 
So there is a need to be careful in regards to literature, especially uh, printing. If you do any printing uh, illegally without a Chinese book number, things like that can get you in a lot of trouble. But for the most part, if uh, if a Chinese guy is out on the side of the road and he passes out some literature, generally it's not going to get him any trouble, just as long as he doesn't have you know a crate of literature, large amounts of literature with him. Um, they're going to maybe take him in, they can question him up for up to 32 hours. And then for the most part, if they can't charge him with anything, they have to let him go. And so that's kind of um, the way things operate here. Uh, it's generally, in most cases, um, uh, not a no-no to be out and talking with people and trying to share your faith. But it, it gets a little dicey um, when either, number one, you have a uh, political objective or number two, uh, you have large amounts of literature. So that's kind of, in summation, how things work in China. Thank you for taking time to listen to the first episode of the China Theology Podcast. I hope you'll subscribe and stay tuned to what we have going on. We've got a lot more interesting topics here coming up very, very soon. If for some reason you'd like to contact us with questions or comments, please do so at our website at chinatheology.com. This is Neil Ray signing off until next time. Bye-bye.